Call from mom. Answer it. Call silenced. Instacart knows nothing gets between you and the game. That's why they make ordering from your couch easy. Stock up today and get all your groceries for the week delivered in as fast as 30 minutes without missing a minute of the game. You have 47 new voicemails. Download the app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare, a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare with more Healthy Matters. And good Sunday morning to you. Welcome to this edition of Healthy Matters uh, this Sunday morning. Again, good morning to you, Dr. Hilden. Good morning, Denny. Kind of a rainy morning for a parade. It is. It is. Happy Pride to everybody. It is Pride Month here in the Twin Cities and across the country. It is raining, though. Yeah, it is. So there's going to be a... more. I heard two, three, four hundred thousand people in downtown Minneapolis, and don't let a couple of raindrops deter you to come down. I'm sure it won't. I don't think it will. They'll be there. They'll be down in Loring Park. I am often down at Pride, and and so happy Pride to everybody. Um, And and while I'm on that topic, while I'm on that topic, we're there. Hennepin Healthcare is there at the parade. You can see our employees. There'll be a Hennepin ambulance. Bernie, the rescue dog, is going to be out there celebrating Pride. He'll be in the parade. The parade starts out at 11 today, and it's at a different route. It's on a different route. It's not down Hennepin Avenue because of all the... The construction, so it's going right down Second, right Avenue. out our front door, right out yeah. our front door, right yeah. outside the CCO Studios, which indeed do have the. Um, there's, I see, uh, rainbow hearts and things out on the building. So happy Pride, everybody! And uh, for those uh, joining us, maybe for the first time, thank you for checking out Healthy Matters. Uh, who did you bring with you today? I have Dr. John Silkinson, a nephrologist, a friend, and a colleague I've known for many years. John's been on the show before a few years back. He is a nephrologist. That's a kidney doctor. And he is also the medical director of our kidney transplant program. So he is going to help us unpack all the issues around chronic kidney disease, kidney failure, and when you might be um, uh, issues to consider around transplant. John, welcome back to the show. It's good to have you here. Um, Now, you were here some years ago. I think we talked about a similar topic. I'm not sure. But um, you are the medical director of the kidney transplant program. Could you say a little bit what your role is and what, what is the kidney transplant program at Hennepin? Well, the program is one of um, four programs in Minnesota, and it's a program that's a multidisciplinary program, including the surgical director, who's Dr. Mark Hill. I know Mark. And um, we have an administrative director, Barbara Danielson. We have a whole multidisciplinary team, which includes coordinators that are generally nurses that are pre-transplant coordinators, those that take care of the patients prior to getting the transplant and get them ready for it. We have an inpatient transplant coordinator. We have post-transplant coordinators. We have social workers that are specialized in transplant issues. We have financial coordinators that specifically deal with the very intricate and complicated issues regarding payments for kidney disease post-transplant. Uh, a huge team, dietitians, and it's a, a very robust team that works well together 
and um, is responsible for the care of the patients and the success for that patient that gets a transplant. Takes a village, doesn't it? Yeah, it's huge. <laughs> not, not to use it as an overused cliche, but it really doesn't take a whole team of professionals. That's now, right. a lot of people know us on at Hennepin. A lot of listeners have been listening to the show for years, literally over a decade, and know about many of the great things we do at Hennepin. But I'll st- I bet there's still a few people out there who aren't aware that one of the strongest kidney transplant programs is right here at Hennepin. Could you tell me a little bit more about the history of the program? When, you know, is it, did it start last year? Did it start no, when? It's, you know? it's actually, we um, were responsible, and it was Dr. Claude Hitchcock was responsible for the first kidney transplant that occurred in, the, in Minnesota, and it was in 1963 okay, in February. Okay, so it's been around so a it's while. A long, it's a long-standing program. Also, it's important to note, not just transplant, but the treatment of kidney failure patients with dialysis was really the first dialysis treatment in Minnesota occurred also at Hennepin. And and you were probably you would know some of the individuals who had been involved early on, including Dr. David Men very early, mm-hmm. and um, some of our nurse practitioners who actually went out to Seattle and learned how to do the dialysis access out wow. in Seattle. So very early treatment of kidney disease here. How many transplants have we done then? So the, the first one, I have yeah. to say, and I'll I'll uh, a little I'll I'll tell people that's older than me. <laughs> <laughs> that first kidney transplant was before I was on the scene. So we've been doing this a great long time. That's correct. Do you do you have off the top of your head how many we've it's done? It's roughly since? around twenty nine hundred right and now. So a lot mm-hmm. of kidneys have been transplanted in the through our transplant program at Hennepin. That's correct. Um, you said. It takes a multidisciplinary team. Um, what is your role? You are the medical director, so you are a nephrologist. That is a kidney doctor by training, right? That is correct. Okay. With a, a bit more specialty just in transplantation. And there, um, there's also, of course, the surgeon. So I have nothing to do with the surgery. You're not the guy actually no. in there doing that. I always tell people I'm, they're probably glad I'm not there. <laughs> but it's, it's the surgeons that do the actual surgical procedure. I have been, um, not lately, but back in my early training, I have been in the operating room when a transplant was done, both the donor surgery and the recipient. It was a couple of guys named uh, Mark Odland and Art and I were doing the surgeries at that point, and I couldn't believe what I saw, what a precision operation that was, how incredibly talented everybody was, and I, I was just privileged to get to watch this being done. Well, and it, I, I think it would probably be considered a privilege to watch them. I think they're master surgeons. Uh, Dr. Nye is still working with us. Mm-hmm. And Dr. Audland retired last year. But they. Um, I think it's also interesting to point out, just in looking at some of the stats, that they performed the first living uh, they, uh, transplant nephrectomy where the kidneys removed by laparoscope. Oh, really? The first one in Minnesota. So where they don't necessarily have to make a huge incision. Correct. Is that how it's done now? That's pretty standard now. There are times when uh, logistically it's not possible or because of some issues you need to do a larger incision. But the huge majority in the nation now are done by laparoscope. So for people who aren't quite familiar with that, a laparoscopic surgery is one where they make very small incisions and the surgeons put their instruments inside the body cavity um, and they watch it then. Um, you know, well, they they're not they're not opening you up in a big incision, and so it's a right. much less right. invasive, I guess. I never understood in a laparoscopic surgery how they get the kidney 
out. out. <laughs> well, they, they do have to make a little a bit, little bit bigger larger incision, incision for that. there, and it's usually done um, in an area that's not visible. Mm-hmm. I've heard some people refer to it as a bikini line incision. Mm-hmm. It's very low, but it's um, uh, several inches long, and um, but is not usually It's not seen. a big deal. So that's to get the kidney that's out of the living the kidney, donor. Which I think that people often will say, well, how big is my kidney? And the kidneys are usually about the size of your fist, okay. each kidney. Interesting. So we're going to talk a lot more in the show about the process of kidney transplant um, uh, in, a, in a, just a little bit later in the show, including how, how donors are selected, how you match up a donor to a recipient, all of that stuff. Before we do that, I want to do a, just a little bit of um, uh, tooting the horn of people at my hospital, not necessarily my own horn, but somebody else. So a lot of people also don't know that, that Hennepin does a great deal of research in kidney disease. And for many years, we um, have been, until just recently, we were the home of the USRDS, the United States Renal Data Service. And that contract is an enormously important contract to um, manage the database on, on kidney disease. Well, Hennepin was awarded that contract once again just this year. And this might be getting down into a little bit of kind of academia, but I do want to point out to people how important that is and what a big deal that is. Um, We have a director of nephrology and a co-director of the Chronic Disease Research Group. Her name is Kirsten Johansson. She is an outstanding nephrologist who was instrumental in helping to get the, the center of kidney disease research right back here at Hennepin Healthcare. She, along with her co-director, Dave Gilbertson. John, could you say a little bit about the USRDS? What is that? It's an acronym, but it's a database of kidney. And then I'm going to talk about another registry as well. Right. It's, um, it is the, the, the database and registry for kidney disease patients in the United States, including transplants at all levels. And it's a huge deal because this is uh, the database that's used to make decisions governmentally. There's a large amount of research done. Any data that it talks about the incidence of kidney disease, it's always quoted, and not just in the United States, but it's used research-wise for people all over the world. So, so if I'm a researcher at Harvard or somewhere and I need information about kidney disease... You go to the USRDS. You go to the USRDS, which is housed and administered at Hennepin Healthcare in That's Minneapolis. Correct. I have to repeat that. We house the nation's, the world's most prominent kidney research database. And uh, congratulations to Dr. Uh, Gilbertson and Dr. Kirsten Johansson and you and your whole team for, for, um, for showing the world um, what a leadership in kidney research is. There's one other program. We also have the Registry of Transplants. Right, and that is called the Scientific Scientific Registry for Transplant Recipients. We call it SRTR. It's also a governmental contract. And the director of that is uh, Dr. Burke Kosiski, who you know. I know Burke Kosiski uh, well, yeah. Um, Dr. Ajay Israni is the deputy director. It includes many uh, nephrologists in our program as well as those – at the university, and throughout the nation. But it's responsible also in the same way with a more specific dive into transplant patients and not just kidney transplant patients, heart transplants, liver transplants, everything. We are going to talk a lot more about kidney disease, Denny. 
Yes. Do we have to take a break? Let's take a quick break. We have uh, more show to come. If you uh, want to get involved, we can certainly have a phone number. In fact, the phone number and text number is the same thing, 651-989-9226. And use that same number if you like to send a text as well. In the Twin Cities overcast, we do expect more showers and thunderstorms today. Right now in the Twin Cities, it's currently 68. And good morning. Welcome back to uh, Healthy Matters. Uh, We're talking kidney failure and transplant, among other things, and certainly welcoming your phone calls and text messages. Same number for both, 651-989-9226. Here again is Dr. Hilde. Thanks, Denny. So I have Dr. John Silkinson, the medical director of the Hennepin Healthcare's uh, transplant program. We're going to talk more specifically about transplant in our next segment. But for this segment, I'd like you to help us out, John, with what causes kidney disease and and how big of a deal is this? Well, it's a very big deal worldwide. And in our nation, in fact, there's about 30 million people who have chronic kidney disease. Yes, yes. Seems like Uh, I see most of them in my own practice. I mean, (laughs) it is really common. So for listeners, this is not an uncommon thing. That's correct. And um, I think it's also important um, to recognize, too, um, what occurs with chronic kidney disease. And one of the things is there's a lot of other illnesses that are associated. And I don't think many people recognize this, but heart disease Mm. is rampant in the chronic kidney disease population. In fact, it's the number one cause of death is heart disease. So I think it was in the 90s, early 90s, that they recognized that chronic kidney disease is a risk factor for heart disease. Is it causative? Is like is having bum kidneys also make you cause your heart problems, or is it the same thing that's wrecking your kidneys yeah. is wrecking your heart? It's it's a mixture of both, and that's a good question because high blood pressure is the most common cause. Along with diabetes is really the number one cause for kidney disease in the United States. And diabetes is a major risk factor for cardiovascular or heart disease, but high blood pressure as well or hypertension. It's the second most common cause of kidney disease. It's a major risk factor for development of heart disease. So there's some that go together. There's also some individual things associated with kidney disease on its own that worsen heart disease. One, for example, is spillage of protein into the urine that occurs with many kidney diseases. That's actually a risk factor for heart disease. So ki- your kidneys are, they do a lot. You know, many people know, well, your kidneys make urine. Yeah, well, that's one thing they do, and they do that to control, you know, your body fluids and the like. But it's also a filter, and so people wonder, so what do, what do you mean? So much protein in your urine, but your kidney, and, and this is, I always find this interesting, is made up of nephrons. That's why a kidney doctor is called a nephrologist, right? You that's know? right. And there's a there's a lot of nephrons in your body, and they're all like little filters, and they're supposed to filter out the protein and keep it in your body, right? That's that's right. Um, we we're supposed to keep it in our body. That's where it's doing its work. It's not supposed to go in the urine. So that is one of the signs of kidney disease is having protein in the urine. How would I know I have that? Uh, generally, you can't see it. You you won't be able to see it. There are some individuals who would say, and, and this has been debated in the literature that you could have urine that looks foamy mm-hmm. when you go to the bathroom, that it might look foamy. That that could be associated. I think that that's not been scientifically substantiated that much. But but some can say that. We will hear it yeah. often. How, how, how do you monitor then kidney disease? Let's say I'm diabetic. Maybe I have high blood pressure. Maybe I don't. But, you know, how is kidney disease diagnosed? Well, with diabetics in particular, um, it's pretty standard to look at the urine testing 
to see if over time there's a development of protein spillage or that you see protein in the urine. So if you're a diabetic, you ought to be given a urine sample. That's usually done. Um, it's probably done on a yearly basis and maybe more frequently at certain times. But um, that should be done. That's an that's a early thing that can be looked at and, and maybe even, even cause an intervention that might delay the worsening of kidney function if that is discovered. Yeah, that's an important point to make. If really, you are a diabetic and you haven't had your urine checked, at least in the last year, you said? Yeah. Mm-hmm. At least in the last year, maybe more often if you already have problems, but at least in the last year and you're a diabetic – you should be getting that test for protein in your urine. I like what you said there, John, because there are things that can be done to slow down the progression. It's not this inevitable thing, but um, it is. Uh, if you have protein in your urine, it's not a good sign, but you can slow that down with like, medications, right? Well, one of the things that we tell everybody is having good control of the blood pressure is probably the most important thing. Blood pressure, blood pressure, blood pressure. But there is a specific kind of blood pressure medication which – patients might recognize is called an ACE inhibitor mm-hmm. or another name for it is an angiotensin receptor blocker. These are an ARB. Yep, an ARB. And these are drugs that will have the last part of their name will be a pril if it's an ACE inhibitor or artin, like losartan or erbosartan. And and these are really important medications because they actually decrease the amount of protein that is spilled. And protein in that's spilling into the urinary tubes is damaging. So if you can keep it in the body, it actually is beneficial. And that's not just for diabetic kidney disease. That's also for any kind of kidney disease in which there's protein being spilled. So let's say somebody has some chronic diseases. Um, Maybe they have high blood pressure. Maybe they have diabetes. Their kidneys aren't working so great. I'm going to ask you this, this text. There's a question from a texter. In order to ask you, when should they see a kidney specialist. And here's a texter from a listener that just came in a little bit ago. I have stage three kidney disease. I currently have a general practitioner, doctor. Do I need a specialist? So when, I guess the the question is, when should they people with kidney disease be seeing you or any kidney specialist? I think that um, this has been debated and there are certainly some general practitioners that are more comfortable than others. But I think that um, in general, it's been shown that at least looking at around stage three, if it's a truly a chronic kidney disease, stage three, that it, it's probably good to, to get in with a nephrologist. It might mean that the nephrologist sees you rarely and just works in consultation. Because it takes them years usually to progress, years. right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it might, hopefully it might not progress that rapidly and perhaps won't be a problem. Different kidney diseases progress at different rates. So... That's good advice. Mm -hmm. That's good advice. So if you have chronic kidney disease, and stage three is based on some calculations we do about how well the filtering function is working in your kidneys. So to that texter who says, I didn't read the full text, it says I'm 88 years old, it might not be a trouble. It might be be not even relevant. Mm -hmm. Um, It might be nice to have some thoughts as to is everything being done to kind of keep it slow. It's also important to recognize that as we as we age, we will have a decline in kidney function just because of the number of you mentioned the nephrons. The, those actually drop in number as we age. And, and there's millions of them, aren't there? Million. Mm-hmm. I find that fascinating. Your kidney is full of a million little filters in each kidney. 
I find that amazing. And I also find it really cool. That's why we call a kidney doctor a nephrologist. We also, though, I have just a minute left here before the break. We, we also use the word renal. We talked about United States renal data. So we use nephrologist and we use renal. They mean the same thing. They mean the same thing. And a lot of times when I'm talking to interpreters with an interpreter with a patient, you'll hear them use the word that's more renal. Yeah, like in Spanish, Spanish it's renown, I think. Yeah, and so it's a Latin derivation. It's whether we're into Latin, renal, or (laughs) Greek, which is nephrology, but maybe we'll just stick with the word kidney. They actually changed it from chronic renal disease to chronic kidney disease because some bright person figured out, let's just call it kidney. Everybody knows what a kidney is. Um, Okay, um, thanks. We're going to have to take a break just um, real shortly. I want to read this one comment. Earlier we were talking about Drs. Nye and Odlin, some pioneers of our surgery department, and Dr. Nye is still there. Here's a texter that said, 22 years ago, Drs. Nye and Adla did my donation of my right kidney to a friend's daughter. It was probably their last one before they started doing them laparoscopically. That's probably about right. That's probably about right. It was 1998 that they did the first the first laparoscopic, laparoscopic that Drs. Nye and Adla did was in 98. Thank you, texter. I hope you're doing well from your, your, your donation 22 years ago. Very good. We have another half hour of the show to go. If you want to get involved, ask your questions, you can do it by by phone or by text. Same number, 651-989-9226. Again, 651-989-9226. Showers and thunderstorm activity more likely for the Twin Cities today. Expect highs near 78 right now. Overcast, 68. Welcome to Healthy Matters, presented by Hennepin Healthcare a network of neighborhood clinics, specialty centers, hospital, and Minnesota's Level 1 Adult and Pediatric Trauma Center. Please remember we can only give general medical advice during the program, and every case is unique. We urge you to consult with your personal physician if you have health concerns. Now, here's Denny Law with your host, Dr. David Hilden, internal medicine physician with Hennepin Healthcare with more Healthy Matters. And good morning. Welcome to this portion of Healthy Matters this uh, Sunday morning. And if you're just joining us, thank you for uh, doing so. Uh, and Dr. Hilden is your host, of course, but uh, folks, folks joining us a little late, who did you bring with you? Thank you, Danny. Good morning to all. I have Dr. John Silkinson. He is the medical director of the Hennepin Healthcare's uh, kidney transplant program. And we have been talking about uh, kidney disease and 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 transplant. We're going to spend most of the next, um, the second half of the show, talking about the transplant program itself and, and living donors versus cadaver donors and all those kinds of issues. We have lots of texts. We have lots of phone calls. I'm going to do a couple of um, uh, housekeeping things um, first of all before I move on. Here's I just want to say uh, uh, um, we had a great male um, sexual health and urologic health seminar this past week. There is a texter um, who is saying thanks for hosting the recent seminar on male stress incontinence. It was um, interested in relationship between heart disease, high blood pressure, neuropathy. Um, thank you to that person who texted that in and who um, uh, was at our session with Dr. Travis Pagliara. That was part of our Heal Here for Health series. The room was standing room only. We had over 50 people in a room that that holds just about that. And so it was terrific to um, to see all you down there for that. I do want to say happy Pride to everybody. It is Pride Month. Today is Twin Cities Pride um, uh, weekend. And Hennepin Healthcare is part of it. We are going to be at Loring Park. You're going to want to see us in the parade. Our ambulance will be there. We have a robust and great group 
of LGBTQ community at Hennepin Healthcare. And so I want to just welcome you all. If you're from outside of town, happy Pride to all of you. Please come see us at the booth at Loring Park and, and maybe even learn a little bit more. There's a little trivia contest there. You can take a photo down there. You can learn about all the services we offer um, with our LGBTQ um, patients and community and employees, including the Pediatric and Adult Gender and Sexual Health Clinic, the Positive Care Center. It is a great place to be um, uh, at Hennepin Healthcare, and so happy Pride to everybody. Now, back to, back to kidney disease. Before we hit the phone lines, Dr. Silkinson, could you talk a little bit about um, the, the dialysis as it relates to transplant? When does one pick one or the other? Let's assume my kidneys are done. They're not doing it anymore. I have to do something. Okay, if um, somebody has is discovered to have kidney failure, maybe at the time of diagnosis, they might never have heard about it, and particularly if they haven't been to a doctor or seen a provider that would have done some testing. They might come in feeling poorly and be in what we call end-stage kidney disease. Um, at that point, they probably need to start something. It's not really reasonable to think that you can get a transplant. I know in in some of the TV shows, somebody will get a transplant that day. Like right away. That, that doesn't really happen You ever. can't live without your kidneys, can you? <laughs> so, right. But you got to uh, do something. That would require dialysis um, more urgently. Um, it's important to point out, though, that if people are followed long-term and closely, um, things can be planned. Mm-hmm. And it's really a lot better if somebody's a candidate for a transplant. It's a lot better to be prepared and maybe get them transplanted before they ever even need to have dialysis. Can you? I didn't realize you could do that. I always thought almost everybody was on dialysis before you had a transplant. That's not always That's the case. That's not correct. And in fact, um, it's it's prob- it's preferable to try to do it beforehand and really time it well. You also don't want to give a kidney transplant to somebody too soon when they still have enough function of their own kidneys that they don't need one. That's an unnecessary surgery perhaps. So many people are aware of dialysis and they have whatever their perceptions might be. It's a highly effective kidney replacement therapy. It's been around a long time. It does work. But as you and I were talking about, it is true, correct, that transplant in the long run is preferable. Is that true? It is preferable. I think that um, one of the ways we look at that is that dialysis is not effective in removing all of the toxins. Uh, There's a substantial number of toxins that need to be removed that are not removed with standard dialysis. And I think anybody that does dialysis would would be able to affirm this, that they don't want to do dialysis every single day for eight or nine hours a day, which is what some studies have indicated in France protect. That you would need to do. It might be required. Most people on dialysis do it three days a week? Three days a week if they do it in the center. That's called in-center dialysis. There are options where people can do even the hemodialysis, which is the dialysis that filters blood, can be done at home. And that's more and more common. Even people doing dialysis at home or in a dialysis unit where they actually go and sleep. We call yeah. that nocturnal dialysis. They are able to do it longer because they have the time to do it during the hours that they would ordinarily be sleeping. Wow. Um, there's also peritoneal dialysis, which is one where an, a tube is inserted into the belly, into the abdomen, to what we call the peritoneum, and you exchange 
high levels of of um, sugar water, really, dextrose, and it pulls out toxins and excessive water, and then it's drained out. These are all fascinating. All of dialysis is attempting to do what a absolutely almost miraculous organ does. The kidney does 24 hours a day, seven day a week. So we're trying all these things, uh-huh. and they do work, but they don't work quite as well right. as a kidney. They don't work as well, and uh, they – the. Uh, a good transplant will will really be able to remove the toxins in fluid to a level that's um, that's really helps people's quality of life be back to normal. The quality of life is definitely better with the transplant than dialysis. The general health is better and longevity is better. So let's talk more about transplant then. You know, some of them, the kidneys initially, didn't they all come from people who had unfortunately died of something else? They were from a cadaver. Um, the first successful one was early on they were they were done through uh living donation for living the very donation. first okay. successful one in Boston in 1954 was an identical twin who received a kidney from his brother so living related donors takes advantage of the fact that we have two or at least that's the norm is to be born with two kidneys and mm-hmm. you can do without one could you say more about that you can. how so say more about living related donation well this is uh, this uh some of this data came from looking at our veterans, you know, World War One, too, that maybe lost a kidney due to injury from shrapnel or mm-hmm. gunshot and um, did fine. And there was a lot of like, wow, evidence you can do okay that people did okay. Sometimes people have a kidney removed because of cancer. They remove one, but they live ordinary and long, healthy lives after that. I think that's what sort of gave us the impetus to think that it was a possibility or the early surgeons that, that undertook this. And um, so these procedures were done, and we had a huge amount of experience in recognizing that people that had donated a kidney did live healthy lives afterwards. How does that work? Your other kidney just is one of them's adequate, or does it like get – Bigger? It, gets, it does get bigger. In fact, does it? it? Yeah, there's. It's what we what we call hypertrophy. The same term that's used for when people do weight muscle. Building. Like my upper body and yeah. my biceps, and like you know, Danny, <laughs> I'm gonna Danny's gonna fall off his chair here. You know, when he, you know, my upper body is very hypertrophied from all of the musculature I have. You know, I work, I lift. You know. <laughs> That's what you're talking about, though. Or right. part of your body is hypertrophy for listeners. That is something's getting bigger. Hyper. Trophy is growth, yeah. Yep. So the other one, the remaining kidney, my biceps aside, the remaining kidney actually does pick up the slack. It does pick up uh, most of the slack. Yeah. And um, now we we also recognized early on, we thought, well, everybody, it, it's, you know, there's no harm at all. But there are some things we have to look at very, very closely. We need to look at whether somebody has a strong family history of kidney disease. Are they perhaps likely to get it? in which case that individual might not be a great donor. So the patients that want to come forth as a donor are are very rigorously screened, and the goal is to do no harm. It's, it's really one of the few things in medicine, if not the only thing, perhaps liver, uh, partial liver donation as well, where you actually have a potential to make somebody worse than right, they were before. because they were fine before. But it's a, it's now it's a very uh, – it's recognized as a very safe procedure. The control and the, the attention given to the living donors and making sure it's safe is is 
almost second to none in terms of how they're evaluated and and um, cared for. So I think it's um, it's something that we're recognizing more and more that is is a very um, uh, pretty safe thing to do. Before we take a break, uh, let's uh, grab a phone call. Dave in St. Paul has a question, I believe. Go ahead, Dave. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I just want to thank all the staff there. I had a kidney transplant about a year ago, and I'm doing great. And I couldn't have done it without all you guys. Dave, thank thanks. You. thank you for your call. I'm so glad that you're doing great. You were the recipient, Dave? Uh, yes, I got a deceased kidney. And you're doing okay today. How, how was the recovery from your surgery? Uh, pretty good. Two months I was back at work. That's perfect. Wow. Dave, Dave, thank you for your call and for um, for recognizing the great care that, that you received. Um, I don't know a, a more kind of team-based approach than the kidney transplant program. You do get a lot of help. You get a lot of support, and you get terrific surgeons. So if, uh, thank you very much, Dave, for your call. All right, we'll take a quick Thanks, break Dave. here. We have uh, more show to come. Uh, you can call us or send a text. Same number, 651-989-9226. 69 degrees in the Twin Cities. More showers on the way. and expected high near 78. Now back to more of Healthy Matters, your phone calls and text messages. And uh, here again is Dr. David Hill. I'll tell you what, should we get to the phones yeah, right let's away? Do let's that. do that. Ann in Edina has been waiting. Uh, go ahead, Ann. Thank you. Yeah, on, um, on June 11th, so less than two weeks ago, I had surgery to correct a blocked ureter, and the urologist, not a nephrologist, performed the resection. Anyway, because of the blockage, I was told that urine had backed up and caused my kidney to balloon. So the urologist cut away that portion of my kidney and sutured it. So I wasn't expecting that. And I wonder, what are the long-term repercussions of something like this? Well, I need to see a urologist or a nephrologist going forward. And I wanted to also mention that I do have type 2 diabetes under good control. And thank you for your questions. That's a good one. She had a condition that I think is called hydronephrosis. That's the backing up of fluid from your ureter to the kidney. Dr. Silkinson, what are your thoughts on, on Ann's comments about this, about her surgery that she had? Well, I was uh, just a question. If, I, I'm not really sure if they actually, did I understand correctly, they removed a portion of the kidney? Well, they, they, they removed, yeah, I'm not 100% sure, mm-hmm. but they, they did, I was told that they, they cut away that um, ballooned part, the part that had, part of the you ureter. know, and, mm-hmm. and then sutured it. Okay. So, so. There might be no impact at all. It might have zero impact at all. You might be just be fine if it's corrected. Uh, secondly, there are instances in which portions of the kidney are removed. I'm just going to go off on a different area just as an example. But if somebody had a small tumor in the kidney, you can remove part of the kidney that contains that tumor. And that individual will do just fine. They have their own, their regular other kidney plus a portion of the kidney that's left. And, and they will do Absolutely fine. Um, theoretically better than somebody with just one kidney. So yeah. Anne could do quite well. Yeah. You might not it have might any sequelae. Should she be seeing a nephrologist or a urologist? I, I think probably might get that information from the urologist and, and ask them or their primary doc. But it's not necessarily the case. Not necessarily that you have to. Mm-hmm. How about this text message? It says, um, what are kidneys? It's, I think it might be kind of related. What are kidney stents? And how do they work? Why would they be needed? 
Well, you can have stents in the kidney just like you have stents in the arteries of the heart. And and they would, in the case of what is called renal again, renal artery stenosis, which is just a tightening or, or narrowing of the artery going to the kidney, those sometimes can be stented. Stented open. But you can also have stents in, and this is going back to what Ann was talking about with her having the problem with her ureter. There can be stents in the ureter that also just allow flow through the ureter yeah. in, a, in a better matter where there might be like a kink. An abnormal it's a plumbing quality. problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a, you know, that's all you, it's all plumbing problems. You know, your ureter is the tube that's like a drinking straw that leads from your kidney to your bladder. Here's a question um, uh, that came in a little earlier that says, could you explain a horseshoe kidney and the risk of kidney failure with having this type of kidney? What the heck's a horseshoe kidney? <laughs> the horseshoe kidney is uh, developmentally, when, even when we're still in the embryological developmental phase before birth, uh, the kidneys normally grow apart, pull apart, and they will be separated. But in some instances, they don't migrate apart, and those two kidneys stay and they connect and stay connected. So literally look like a horseshoe when you look at the together as one. It functions as a, a single kidney, um, it has really no impact on longevity. doesn't lead you more likely to have kidney failure. So there's somebody out there, some people walking around with these and don't even right. know it. it <laughs> in fact, uh, there was a patient that came in to donate uh, a kidney at one point, and this individual was in perfect health and was ready to donate a kidney to his loved one. And we wow. found out then so. there was a horseshoe kidney. Couldn't so be. That, that leads me to another question that I wish we had more time to talk about, but the donor process. This texter is saying, what does a person have to be do have to do to be tested for a kidney donor? Um, we only have a couple minutes, but can you kind of describe the donation process? Because living related or living kidney donation is truly an altruistic thing that people can do and you can save the life of somebody. Tell us about the donation process. It's yes, it's a it's it's a very clearly an altruistic thing that occurs, and it's, uh, I'm amazed at the individuals who, who do it. But one of the things True heroes. Yeah, heroes. This. And one of the important things to recognize is you don't have to be a relative. You don't even have to be the same race. And I think there's a lot of misperception there. Blood types, we want to recognize that there, you, you have to look at the person's blood type in terms of who they could donate to. And then we also measure things like the antibodies that a, a person might have. Antibodies fight germs ordinarily in, in excellent and good conditions. But in the times of transplant, antibodies can attack a foreign kidney. So somebody might have inappropriate or, or you know unacceptable antibodies that would develop against the particular person who wanted to give them a kidney. Then it's not possible. Um, there are alternatives to that too, mm-hmm. though. Um, and I might be going too far off in explaining this, but we have what's called the Parrot Exchange Program where somebody could actually say, well, yeah, I still want to donate a kidney that would go to my wife, but so let's go into the Parrot Exchange since we don't have the same blood type or one that's compatible. They could be on the list, give a kidney to somebody else, even Not a different wife, state. Not their wife, somebody else. Yeah. Right, and that person might have a friend or family member them a donated kidney that comes back to this individual's so wife. So it's like a chain donation a chain. thing. And you, mm-hmm. um, Do we do those? We do. 
We do. We've done we've done many of them, and there are some that are huge chains uh, involving multiple hospitals. It's like a group that gets together, mm-hmm. a small group that can donate kidneys. We've been talking with Dr. John Silkinson, the medical director of the Hennepin Healthcare um, Kidney Transplant Program. We are out of time. Um, thank you so much for being with oh, us. Oh, sure. Um, our kidney transplant program is a is. Um, I want you all to know about that. Listening to the to the show today. It has been around for decades. Since the 60s, we've been doing kidney transplants right here in downtown Minneapolis at Hennepin Healthcare. Um, if you want more information about the kidney transplant program or anything about Hennepin, go to hennepinhealthcare.org slash kidney. hennepinhealthcare.org slash kidney. And of course, you can always schedule a patient, or a patient appointment um, with anybody at Hennepin at 612-873-MYMD. That's 612-873-6963. It's a good thing to do. Is um, I want to really encourage you to, um, if you know someone with kidney disease or you are interested in being a donor, maybe you have a family member, the good folks on, on Dr. Silkinson and, and his team can help you out. HennepinHealthCare.org slash kidney. And what is that phone number for, even if you need a primary yeah, even doctor? Even for a primary doctor, that's 612-873-6963. 612-873-6963. And what are we going to be doing on the show next week, Doctor? I think I'm going to be doing open line, so get your health care questions ready. All right, your general health questions. That will be uh, next week on an open line show here on Healthy Matters, here on News Talk 830-WCCO. We really need new phones. T-Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s. And each line is only $25 a month. New iPhone 15s? It's better over here. Only at T-Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade-in when you switch. Minimum of four lines for $25 per line per month without a pay discount using debit or bank account. $5 more per line without auto pay, plus taxes and fees. Phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers. Contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due. $35 per line connection charge applies. See T-Mobile.com. 